Welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Jake Lamore, and I'm pretty excited about this episode because uh, this person is uh, someone that I was actually going to sit down with on the other podcast that I host. It was him and I had talked about it for... Uh, I don't know, for a couple of years or whatever. But uh, aside from this, I host a podcast called Pop Punk and Pizza, which is completely different from this. Uh, and uh, there is some, you know, adult language on that podcast. I will warn you if you do check that out. It's a it's a different uh, ball game. Uh, but anyway, um, he's a wonderful human being. Uh, I got to, started to get to know him when I started my my broadcasting career at Milner Media. And he is the one of the, or if not the resource officer for the Bourbon A Elementary School District. And that is Travis Garcia. Let's give him a oh, warm welcome. Thank you. Too kind. Too kind. <laughs> so you are the, there's only one, right? Resource officer? Yeah. So for mm-hmm. Bourbon A Elementary School District 53, um, I'm the one. Been doing it for like seven years. Um, there are other SROs in the area. Um, school resource officers. Uh, BBCHS has one, Mantino, Kinky County has them in places. So uh, Kankakee City, I believe, has a rotating one or maybe one in there now. So it's, uh, for me, just Bourbon Elementary School District. I do work with other schools, um, but that's my primary responsibility. You work with other schools in the district, uh, right? Or in just in the area. Yeah, and in general. So I work with the five schools in our school district. And then I've done work with Bishop McNamara. I've helped BBCHS and the Bradley Elementary Schools. I've done work uh, in the in Central School District. Okay. So just kind of anybody who needs assistance, I'm always willing so you're are you actually employed by the Bourbonnet Police Department then, or how does that work? So great question <laughs> because this is... that's something I've wondered because I know like when you're not when when school's not in session, you're on patrol, right? Yeah. So um, and in this it actually a lot of it has to do with like legalities. So I when I'm during the school year employed by the school district, they pay about half of my salary for those months I'm there. Uh, and the reason they have to do that is because there's laws in place that as a police officer, there's certain things I can and can't do, obviously. But as a school employee, a school administrator, some of those things fall off as long as you're doing them the right way. Uh, the main one is like search and seizure. Um, I get to search a locker at the school, uh, but if I find anything that's contraband, I actually have to give it to the principal first. And the principal then has to kind of like give it back. So like find uh, a drug or something. Because that's just the way it's supposed to work. 
So the, for that to happen, it's, I have to be an employee of the school. So that's why the school pays half the salary. Plus, it's kind of just a normal. So you agreement. have to. So if you find some type of contraband, you have to give it to the principal or administration first, and then they have to give it back to you. Yeah, because they're in essence, they're like my boss within the school. So yeah. um, if I find it, I have to prove that I was just working as a school employee, uh, employee and that would then turn it over. And then they're like, well, if they want to go criminal or they want to get law enforcement involved, they can turn it back over to me. So, as So they don't actually have to. No, no. Okay. The school can choose to do with any violation in, in their um, buildings or in the district, however they feel. Uh, and and that's the the glory of it is we get to, you know, we're not out just trying to arrest kids. We're education. You know, yeah. We want to promote growth and learning. And sometimes people make mistakes. So when you catch them young in, in school, and that's usually little stuff, um, you're able to, you know, let them know like, hey, in the real world, these are the kind of consequences you have. But when we're in the school, you get a, you get a lot of, uh, you get the opportunity to prove to us. One of the things um, a former administrator with the school district um, kind of said, and I, I love saying it now, it's one of my favorite things, um, is I don't, I don't judge people on their mistakes. I judge them how they fix them or if they make the next good decision. Because we all make mistakes. We all make bad choices. Do you make the next good one? When you're presented with the same information, the same problem, do you choose a different path or do you stick with what you've been doing yeah and then there's always though i know from from my personal standpoint there's like you you repeat that mistake over and over and over and over and over again and then you're finally like oh okay yeah it's it's fun to be in the school because of that like uh kids hear the same stuff from their parents they're hearing it from their teacher and day in day out that's the glory of being the sro is um, a lot of people ask me like what's my main job like what is my focus school safety that's a big topic in today's world um, but my answer is always the same relationship building telling everyone that we're here for you me especially uh, i will do what i can for you i will help you work through life answer questions that i can because not everyone has the best home life. Not everyone has two parents at home. And not everyone's dealing with the same things that everyone else is dealing with. And so being able to have that uh, connection in the school and, and kids immediately when they see police officers, they, especially at young ages, they think this guy knows what he's talking about. He's a superhero. You get all those things. Um, so it, it, it's easy to kind of break that down and talk to kids because they look up to you so easily. Mm -hmm. And then as they grow older, that superhero facade starts to fall off. You start to become more of a normal person. Um, but then they, that respect is even further there. If you've planted that seed, built those connections, goes so far. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I, I want to get into the bulk of that into more, but first I want to learn, I know very, I, I was first trying to figure out when you and I first started talking and I, I didn't realize that you and I have both been like at our jobs, like the same length of time. Cause I started working in radio like seven, seven years ago and you've been a, you know, resource officer since seven years ago. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I was trying to figure out in my head if that's when 
we st- I, I know you were a listener, and I was trying to figure out when we started connecting more, but... Yeah, so I got I got hired in Bourbon A in 2013, okay. and so, and I immediately was drawn to doing, like, public relations stuff, and um, Cop on a Rooftop, which is now uh, Coffee with Champions. Yes. We were doing that event and promoting it throughout the radio station, so uh, my deputy chief would take me to the radio, because I was, I'm always willing to do this stuff. So I think we met there for the first time. Okay. And I'd, I'd listened to your show numerous times. Um, and then when you went to Wake and Jake, I was, that's like my perfect time to listen to radio. I'm in the car. I'm driving to work. Yeah. When I was working patrol uh, on day shift, it's like that. my whole shift is almost that. Now, okay. Now I remember. Yeah. I remember you coming in with, um, I don't remember which deputy chief it was. I don't know if it was Anderson. It was Anderson, or, yeah. Yeah. And you came in for, yeah, the cop on a rooftop at that time. So, and then actually the first time we like met in person and it wasn't just this, you know, omnipotent voice on the radio (laughs) that gave me my hits throughout the day. Um, but, uh, was an event, I believe you're, it was one of the car dealerships. You were doing a, uh, remote broadcast and we had showed up a couple of the officers cause it was one of those events. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, man, I wish I could remember exactly what it was. I just remember talking to you. Yeah. And then having to leave right away. And I was like, man, that Jake's a pretty cool guy. Oh, shucks. Well, I my recollection is I feel like I, I, I'm remembering you now coming in to talk about, you know, the, the coffee for champions, you know, cop on a rooftop. And um, <laughs> you're probably going to hear uh, noises uh, throughout this podcast, by the way, because um, my son is home. So that means my dog could potentially make noise <laughs> and my son could also make noise so just you get the added uh, ambiance um for this episode but um yeah i just remember you coming in for the uh, into the radio station i remember meeting you there but yeah the uh, dealership i'm trying to remember that maybe it was uh, could have been david bruce it could have been i guess it doesn't really matter but i it just since we were sitting down and finally talking i it just yeah. you know, your curiosity starts you're like hmm when was that? But yeah. Some... And then pretty much from that moment on, I think every time we interacted, it had something to do with donuts. So the <laughs> was, yeah. cop on a rooftop, yeah. I came to promote that. You showed up one time um, yep. before uh, you went back to the station or to pick something up. Yeah, it was that was that was relatively not too long ago in the last couple, two or three years. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been right before the pandemic or something. I can't remember. But yeah, we got pictures of that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, the... Your pink handcuffs. Yes, yeah, yeah. There's a story to those. I do have pink handcuffs. Um, I showed them today, and someone's like, "Did you grab the wrong ones?" I'm like, "No, I have them." There's a story behind them, but the main reason I keep them is because uh, no one will steal them. But we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah we can get to that. Um, but anyway, so so even going way back, much farther than that. I know you're originally from Lansing, mm. Illinois, right? No? No. You're not originally from Lansing, from but the... I, I do know that you did live in Lansing for a period of time, right? Or you had family there? Yeah, I have family okay. um, from the area, which is like a weird thing that I didn't know until a few years back. Um, but I'm actually from Indiana. and Oh, that's right. Um, I, okay. I have family that I mean, Lansing in... is close, so I wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> but, but I do. I have uh, my grandma's sister lives in Lansing. I have a... Um, an aunt that lives in Kankakee, and oh. I, I don't even know where. Um, we're like not like a super, super close family, but like she does a big, live here. Do you have a really big family? Is that yeah? Oh, okay, that yeah. makes sense. Um, and somebody else lives kind of near Mantino, 
Um, and I don't, I believe it's my uncle, but it, it was just kind of weird when I moved out here and I thought, oh, I'm getting out of Indiana. I'm going to be that one person that, <laughs> trust me, I'm not the only person from my school that was able to get out. Uh, and I didn't even go that far. But yeah, so where was it in, in Indiana then? I'm just, it was a Griffith or was it Valparaiso? Valparaiso, so close, like okay. Porter County area. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I I went to college in Indianapolis at Butler University. Okay. So I kind of spent some time there. But uh, I, you know, I thought I'm getting out. I'm doing it. I applied. I originally was going to get hired in Columbus, Indiana, and that didn't work out. And then I uh, three days after that um, fell through, which. If you're listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, a police officer, I want to get to know more about law enforcement. Uh, the, and everyone always asks this, what's the biggest advice you can give when applying? Yeah. Apply everywhere and just go with the flow because you never know what, what's going to work and what won't. You so mean I, you apply at any department that yeah. you can aff, aff, like afford to go yep. to? or Yep. You know. And uh, so Columbus, I went through whole, their whole process, thought I was getting hired and um, – uh, something in like uh they did like a voice stress test which is kind of weird um a voice stress test yeah How it's does like that... a polygraph but it's uh they just listen to your voice and i don't know there's things in your so voice so they that... just ask you questions yeah, yeah it's like and... a polygraph but they're only looking for certain things uh -huh. in the voice um and i uh there was something that came up that didn't they didn't like and they called me and were like hey we're going to talk to the board, the, the hiring board. Um, we really want you, but I we feel like if we make this variance for you, then it opens the door for anybody else to just like have, you know, things come up in the process, which trust me, if you're applying to be law enforcement, this is going to happen. Just go work through it. You know, you're going to have things that um, some departments are okay with, some departments are definitely not okay with, and it just ends up in a certain, this weird way. Um, mine was to, to clear the air. Cause I'm sure people are going to speculate. Um, I was Columbus is just South of Indianapolis. I went to school in Indianapolis. I'm like, Hey, all my buddies from college, can I stay with you? So I don't have to pay for a hotel room to go test. And they're like, yeah, sure. So I drove down. I, I was going to stay with my friend and I walk in and he's on a flat with a couple other people. Um, and they were partaking in some things, uh, uh, that I, that I wasn't aware of. So when I got there, I'm like, Oh, I can't be here. I can't stay here. This is ridiculous. Why yeah. didn't you tell me that you guys were going to be doing this? Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't even know that they did. And so um, when I went to the test the next day, they're asking questions and I was still thinking about that. It made me nervous. Um, even though I didn't do those things, I was like, I was there for, you know, five minutes. Uh, that's sketchy. And um, so they weren't happy, but they were like, hey, we want to make this variance because you explained your situation, but we don't think they're going to go for it because then anyone else can argue the validity of the testing. Like, I completely understand. So what it. happened then? Did uh, you? So they, they called me back the next day and said, and it was the chief, and he's like, hey, man, you know, you're a great applicant. We really did like you. We were excited. Um he talked to me like a disappointed father, even though I didn't do anything wrong. I just, <laughs> yeah, I I just didn't he, know how to explain what, what it, the yeah, situation. I think he I just really him. wanted you to yeah. work for him. He's like, we already but, had a place for you in the academy and all this stuff. And um, we already had ideas of what you were going to do for our department. And I'm like, man, I was devastated. And three days later after that, um, Chief Phelps of the Burmese Police Department called me and just said, hey, you're up. And I'm like, okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, miss my shot here. I'm gonna do this right. 
and uh, which I didn't do anything wrong. Like I said, it's it's no. stress. The, the process you, is sure. so stressful. Well, that would that would make me a little uh, yeah. anxious and nervous too. You know. Like literally, you're going there to take the test, and right before you take the test, you walk into yeah. a situation like that. Yeah, I ended up would... getting a hotel room. It spent so much money um, because it was like the night of. Yeah, yeah, man, not cool. But then, yeah, three days later, I got the offer, or I got invited to do all the testing process, and it was you know one of those one door closes, another one opens, mm -hmm. and you know here I am. Wow, and that so that was. That would have been before 2013 then? Would it have like early yeah, 2010s? Yeah, it was like December uh, of 2012. Okay. I got through that process very quickly. Um, so what did you go to school for though? Did you go to school for law enforcement or? Yeah. So I originally started law enforcement and then went to Butler University um, and switched to sociology and criminology. So it's kind of an offshoot of law enforcement um, and then a minor in German. So originally my minor was going to be in history, but I had studied German for so long, um, which when you hear Garcia, you wouldn't think that. <laughs> no, no, obviously you don't look German either. No. Not to... <laughs> so I, um, I, I went for sociology and criminology, and uh, which was at Butler University, fantastic program because it did uh, really open my eyes to what I was getting into and uh, what to expect and, and gave me a more... Uh, deep sense of what it means to be a public servant and to work for communities. And uh, I carry a lot of what I learned, a lot of those lessons learned to my career today. So, And so much has even changed since then. Yeah. But even then, I mean, it, it, there had so many things that had been changing in the, you know, the early uh, 2010s or 2000s. Mm -hmm. I guess it's like everything else. Everything's constantly changing. Yeah. You know. Um, so get to you test for bourbon A and you pass. Now, how does tr how does training work? How does that work for how, in your case? How did that work going to the everyone always says the academy? It's like, okay, yeah. well, where is the academy? Well, there's a few. You know, I know there's a few, but it's you know. Um, so you got to get through that process of the hiring process, which is a lot of steps, um, uh, medical exam, uh, drug testing, um, physical exam, psychological exam. There's like even a, the whole application process itself is partially an exam because they're doing writing samples. You've got to pass a written test, um, the uh, polygraph, all of this stuff. And once you get past all of that and every every check – you get, they're like, okay, you're good, you're good. Then they say, you uh, report to the academy on this day. And there's a few different academies. I went to um, the one in University of, uh, U of I, University of Illinois, okay. um, PTI, and uh, Police Training Institute. And it was awesome. Um, it, the, again, they focused a lot then. And I don't know if it was every class or before that or if we were just starting to move into this new transition. But they focused a lot on like communication and um, I, I don't want to say empathy because they didn't empathy is not something you can like necessarily teach, but there was a lot of that. It was very focused on those kind of things, which is what I cared about. Um, and you do that for how long is it? It feels like yesterday, but it, it also, it goes by so quick. Yeah. But I'm sure it also goes by slowly too. Cause I'm sure I would imagine the uh, going through the Academy is, 
even harder than the testing, right? It's just like going back to school. So having yeah. been almost fresh out of college, because I was I graduated in 2011, um, it was just being going back to school. I had to wake up a certain time. We did our um, physical drills in the morning, and then we would go to class, have lunch, go to class, class ends, and you'd have extracurricular stuff, whether it was you're taking Spanish or a different um, offshoot of like a more specialized class in law enforcement or if you just worked out again. A lot of a lot of the guys worked out twice a day. Okay. Um, then you have to wake up and do it all over again. And so. do, do you stay there at the academy? Do you live there? Yeah. So for the time that you're there, um, everyone has roommates. There's a um, kind of like an RA, like okay. a resident assistant that is the... I keep wanting to say den mother. I don't know why I want to say that. <laughs> but like uh, they're they're just kind of in charge of the guys, like yeah. a team lead, a group leader mm-hmm. um, of your floor. And you have curfews and all. It's just like I would have to imagine a, a very subdued military academy. Um, but went through all that. Once you finish that, you come out. And um, on, I graduated on Friday. On a Friday, and you can't remember how long the the academy yeah. was. It was at a year. I should know this. No, it's it's less it's, than that. It's less, okay, I, I like think nine it was months. Like, I think it was like six or seven months or something. Okay, I I could be way off. I'm yeah. trying to like desperately think of when I went and how it all went down. Um, but it just one of those things. You do it, and it's like okay, now yeah. on to the next thing, right? Um, and now that that's that's like almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, And the, the thing about it too is you're constantly having to do trainings and having to do um, classes and keep learning that continual education when you're in law enforcement that I, I actually don't recall how long that took in the academy because it never you're really always, ended. I was going to say you've always, you're, you're yeah. continuing in the last almost 10 years, you've been mm-hmm. going back and taking more classes wherever that might be. Yeah, usually they're school-related now, so mm-hmm. um, whether it's the uh, NASRO courses for being a school resource officer, which NASRO is um, the National Association of School Resource Officers, or it's DARE, the Drug Abuse Resistance Education Program, there's just always something. Um, and so when you get out of the academy, you still have to do all these courses, but before you can even patrol, you have to do um, your field training, and that is three phases of responsibility. So the first phase is we're going to show you how everything works, how this job really is done on the streets and teach you kind of our programs, how paperwork works. So that's at like the department that you're, so so you, you almost like you're shadowing someone. It's like like a shadow. Like a, uh, another officer or sergeant or however that that works. Right. Yeah. It's, I said three phases, but it's almost kind of like four because then you do another phase where you, you start taking on more responsibilities and you do another phase. And usually they try to throw you on different um, shifts. So whether it's day shift, afternoons or midnights, so that you're being exposed to everything and you're getting three different officers. And then you go back to that first officer on your last rotation. And it's called the shadow phase where they just stand and do and you do everything. And they, they are supposed you. to not be there. Uh, they're with you. But they're just but pretending. They're, they're yeah. hands off. They don't do anything unless they absolutely have to. And um Funny story, I kind of got hired in this weird mix. So right before I got brought on, um, they had hired a lot of people. It was kind of a weird transition period for the department. And um, unfortunately, everyone that I got kind of got hired with 
weren't making it through. They they were kind of bulking out of the FTO. And does that happen a lot that you've heard? <laughs> so I would normally say no, uh-huh. but I I can only speak for our department. And at yeah. the time, there was I think two before me. The guy I got hired with at like the same time, and then um, that was like the end of it. So I guess maybe yeah. there's only three people. But the joke was everyone would be like, "Hey." You got to make it through Garcia. It's not looking good, you know. Um, and I don't even know if those don't guys let are, me down. If, the, if they're still in law enforcement or not, I only worked with one of them. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was a weird transition period, so it was kind of yeah. uh, the joke. And um, we've since uh, all the guys that we've hired have made it through um, since I've been there. Uh, but yeah, you go through that FTO, and that's so that's stressful. Yeah, I would imagine because yeah. you you're literally being watched. Yeah, by someone who is experienced, it's make or break your career. <laughs> yeah, that would make me so nervous. And it's you're not in school, mm-hmm. you're not in that controlled environment. You're actually in yeah, the real, it's real world, it's real life, real people. Yeah, no actors, and you and you don't know what kind of situation you're going to be thrown into. Yeah, and, right. And because th- because you're probably responding to all kinds of different calls, not anything. just not just hey, there's an accident, you know, on fifty. I mean, it's there's domestic violence calls and all, all that stuff. And usually, like when calls get dispatched, they they kind of go in an order depending on if um, they do it by seniority or they do it by um, specialties beat systems. So, like if it's in this area, this is the officer that deals with those ones. If it's okay. in this area, this officer deals with those. Um, but when you're an FTO, it's, you're the, you're the go-to. So any call comes through, if it's a a very unique call that you haven't done yet, they'll dispatch it to one officer and then your FTO or, or even you will have to get up and say, I'll I'll take that. So you're, you're doing, uh, you're throwing yourself to the wolves constantly baptism by fire. You're just always going in. Um, and it's just stressful. But it is fun and it, and um, it's necessary. You have so, to get all that experience, and and you still, um, even now, I'm still dealing with calls that I was like, "What is what? What? I've never, I never thought this would happen." And it's a new experience, and you have to constantly learn and adapt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine that there, there's. Nothing ever ceases to amaze you sometimes. You know, you think you get to a point where you're like, oh, I've seen all the calls. And then it's like, no, I haven't. <laughs> there's another, there's a new one. Um, so, you know, you're talking about the, the FTO process. A lot of the, your colleagues, I guess, <clears throat> are not making it through. What were some of your experiences on that? that process that you can remember some of those calls or that made it hard? So I, I got kind of lucky. Um, it, well, I shouldn't say lucky because I, I did the work prior. Before I got hired, um, I was doing firefighting. Oh, and okay. I was an EMT. I was a lieutenant of our volunteer fire department. Kind of like knew how to talk on our radio system, like on the communication system. And a lot of the times I kept hearing that these guys were kind of not making it through was their radio communication was bad. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to say it. Um, they would take too long or they would freeze. Well, I've been doing emergency response for five years. I think I can do it. Oh, that's a huge, huge help. Yeah. So it made it really easy for me to do that. Not being from the area, learning Bourbon A was hard. Um, 
and because you small. don't know where everything's at, right? And it's small. It's not even that big, but man, it's you. It's so easy to get confused when you're not familiar and you're trying your hardest because um, you know the person that's sitting next to you is watching you. <laughs> the dispatchers are listening to where you're calling out. People are calling and need your emergency assistance. You have to get there quick. So it's a lot to do. So um, I know that I felt like that was the reason that a couple of them weren't getting it through. I know there's probably more, but they don't, I'm not privy to that stuff. Um, well, give a, uh, give me an example of like um, proper uh, language on, you know, on radio. So it's easier now because we don't have to do 10 codes. Um, 10 code and people still use them. And if you, 10 code is, is that like the 10, 10 for, okay. Um, and but like isn't aren't there certain codes still for like shooting or anything? Yeah. So what are, what are some of those? Yeah, uh, one of them would be like, or you call the dispatch and just say, "Hey, I'm out with a 1046. Um, I'll be 106 a moment." You know, in like that just means I'm out with a disabled vehicle. I'm going to be busy. I'm going to okay. be working with it. And then you can say at the end, you know, um, 1024, 108, which means everything's done and I'm clear, you know, and it's just, we've gotten away from that, uh, nationally actually. So now people will just say, I'm out with a disabled vehicle. We're waiting on a tow. I'll be busy. Oh, so you actually speak yeah, English. Yeah. Common language. Well, now, what huge. was the whole reason though for the, the using numbers and things? Was that so people didn't know what was going on or do think, you know, do you know what were you that. taught? I think a little bit of it was to... Because uh, obviously the public can listen to a scanner. And most scanners will tell you what the 10 codes are. Um, They're not always accurate, but they will say it. Um, Uh I think originally it had to do with uh, maybe they thought it'd be quicker. You'd use less radio time if you said things like that. Um, Instead of these long sentences. Yeah, you can keep uh, privacy secure, just other stuff. Um, And it just became an issue, especially in these big incidents throughout the world. Um, even in you know Bourbon A with the uh, with the train incident years ago, I could only imagine if all these responding agencies have different ten codes. How can you communicate if what? Because I came from Indiana, um, a ten zero is not the same as a ten zero here. Oh, it's they mean, not. They mean different things. So where I came from, ten zero was they're they're deceased. Now here, ten zero is more of just like danger caution, just. You know, whatever the case See, may be. See, I would think it would mean the same everywhere. So that's what the idea, you know. Wow. How it goes. And then there's other departments that use signal codes, like uh, Chicago, I think was good for this, Indian, uh, Illinois State Police. And signal codes are like 10 codes, but I don't I don't even know any of them. Is, is was, a signal code more like a color situation? No, it, it would still be a number. No. You'd like, I'm um, signal 10, signal 8. Uh, I don't okay. know what any of them mean because I didn't have to learn those. Right. Um, and I'm a huh. big fan of plain speech because you can get so much more accomplished if you know what you're communicating mm-hmm. uh, not having to guess um so uh th- that was one of the issues that those guys are getting hung up on um it's just basic radio traffic i say basic it's not basic it does take practice i would imagine so um, but yeah we you deal with domestics accidents um actually a, a story once I got off FTO and I was on my own, the guy who got hired after me, uh, he got released on his own very shortly after. And we it was him and I working a shift together, the two newest guys. And 
our supervisor was still in the station doing stuff, and it was like right when our shift started. We were working midnights. Domestic call. We both get there. Um, I could, and we have to like go around. I go around the back of the building because I can hear this guy yelling, and uh, he he stays by the front door. And I remember I I got flack for this, um, but I saw him in the window. Long story short, he he tells me he's got a knife. I don't see the knife, so I holster my gun. Um, I yell at him to open the door because a sliding glass door. He says no, opens the blinds even more, and says that's all I'm doing for you. And he's angry and he's saying this. I'm still confused to this day why, if you were going to yell at me, why you would ever do anything for me. But he did. Um, and then um, he reached to grab the the woman in the residence, and she had a, a little kid with her too. And I was and I didn't see the knife, but I'm like, well, he's grabbing her. Who knows what we'll do? But I remember before that happened. I got on the radio and I was asking for permission to throw a chair through the window. I I was like, can I, he, I, he's past the glass sliding glass window. Can I break it? And my supervisor said, you do what you got to do. And the reason why I got flack for it is because obviously that's like, you could easily do that as a police officer. If you think that you need to do it. But at the time I didn't feel like it was necessary yet because he was just yelling. And then when he reached and grabbed her, I'd already asked that question. I kicked in a side door I wrestled with the guy. He didn't really wrestle. He was just tense. And then my other officer came in through the front door. He kicked that door in, and we arrested this guy without incident for us, thankfully. Um, it turns out that there was a weapon involved, that he would out, he was outside shooting the gun. Um, and this was, like, of, of my first, like, real kind of big call. And it was the other officer who just started his first real big call. <laughs> Wow. And it, it was very interesting. Um, and I remember afterwards when we found the weapon, I was kind of like, man, you know, this is what they don't tell you like at all. As we went to this thinking it was one thing. And had we been maybe a second late or a second earlier, someone called in earlier, it could have been a completely different situation. Not saying, you know, you know, wait to call in any emergency, but the fact that this guy had a gun at, at some point yeah, like before our arrival. Yeah, like he could have had that in his hand right. or in his... So he didn't end up having a knife. He just had a nope. gun somewhere. Yep, it was very out of reach, but it was before we called, or someone called us, he had been um, threatening and used it outside as a display. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's a long kind of story. Um, but yeah, I, I remember thinking it constantly about, man... You know, you can never be complacent in the job, obviously. Um, and when you're young and you first start, you get that. I just went through the academy. I didn't learn. I know everything I need to know. I'm a big man. Like I'm an adult now. I mean, I. You know, <laughs> no, it's just I, it's just weird when you hit that. And honestly, it, I I don't understand why, because I'm not a police officer, obviously, but why you would get flack for asking permission to to do that because. Just as a civilian and from the outside looking into a police officer situation, I would have thought the same thing. I would I would think, okay, am I going to get in huge trouble for doing this? Right. You know what I mean? Like, is because you're everyone is under a, a magnifying glass nowadays. Yeah. And you know, more and more. So I would be questioning every single thing I'm doing as a police officer. And that's what's tough now is, is that the whole, that moment of indecision. Luckily, I, I asked that question over the radio um, while it was kind of calm. He was still looking at me. He didn't appear like he was going to do anything. He was just, he appeared drunk and angry. 
Um, and if like maybe I had when he went to reach for her, if I tried to then ask and got stuck waiting for, for that, yeah, like I knew in my head I was probably gonna go into this house somehow. Um, and that was like the learning curve is I I realized very quickly I'm probably going in. So I asked if that's acceptable, which I knew going in was acceptable. Just in my head, breaking a window. Did you actually break the window? Then? No, I can't I kicked, remember. I went through a side door. You went through a side door. Okay. Yeah. Um. Which I was got super lucky because who knows where that door would have left? I could have been in a garage and just had to run around a house trying to find my way to these people. Yeah. Um. But it was like connected. It was really close. Um. But I, you know, it. That was the like reminder: is you have to be good at making decisions quickly. Um. Not, not getting stuck and freezing in that moment. Um just doing what you got to do and hope that what you're doing is right. There's a quote, it's like in all the cop shows, if you're always doing the right thing, you'll never be wrong. So as long as you think what you're doing is right, you should be good. And uh, in my head, like I said, I knew, I knew right away I'm going into this house somehow. Um, But I'd never been told. I'd never, I've never had to break a window um, for the, from the police side, fire side. I've done it numerous times. Oh, sure. Um, But from the police side, uh, that I had that brief moment of I'm going to throw this chair through it, which I could have broken it so many different ways. But in my head, you see in the movies, throw a chair through a window. Yeah. I'm like, I'll use this chair. And you're, you're looking at what's available right. to you. And um, that, and that, like I said, that could have been problematic in any other circumstance. Got very lucky and we, we handled our business how we were supposed to. No one got hurt. Um, but it, it I take a lot of those lessons and I continue to to apply them to a lot of the calls we have today. And even that glass thing, like that stuck with me forever. It still does. And when I teach um, civilian response to like armed intruders, because I work in the schools, um, armed intruders, violent behavior of um, people that come into the school, I always remind people that you, you can do anything you have to in the situation to survive, whether it's breaking that window and jumping out, jumping from a second story uh, building, um, throwing your MacBook Air at this person to try to run away. Like all these things are possible. And I have to remind people that when I'm talking to um, bosses and like, hey, I'm going to talk to your staff about this stuff. I'm going to tell them these things because if you don't, they'll never think of it. And they won't do it because they haven't been told they can. And kids are the same way. And most kids don't want to run away from the school because that's, they get in trouble for that. So you have to constantly remind them that you can do these things in these situations. You can do these things. And almost every kid that I I work with and do this, they are so like, you can see it lift off their shoulders and they start to get really into it. And they're like, Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here. (laughs) Um, And it's really, it's really impressive to see all that kind of stuff. So it's just letting them know that, Hey, it's okay to, Defend yourself. Yeah. Is that the, the whole? Is that what you say? Defend yeah. yourself, or yeah. do what you have to do to uh, to survive or to get out. So yeah, sometimes um, depending on ages, you don't. I don't tell like a first grader to defend themselves like that, but a eighth grader. I mean, they're they're playing Fortnite every night, playing Call of Duty. They know what's going to happen if they don't. Yeah. So you have to let them know, like, hey, yeah, you can. I've always kids bring, I'm going to throw the teacher's hot coffee in their face. <laughs> yes. Do it. <laughs> I just heard the other day, someone was like, I'm going to put hand sanitizer in their eyes. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You're in there like, you're thinking kind of in the right way, but what, what, what's the possibility of you being able to actually do that? 
and then bringing them back into a real conversation. And mm-hmm. I've only um, ever, I very rarely have students that have negative reactions to these conversations. Um, we've had staff members in our school that have uh, were at NIU during their incident. Okay, that were in school then, and when I told them that this is the trainings we're going to do, they had some reservations, but they ultimately realized, like, oh yeah, these things do happen. I lived through it once. Um, and they bring that sincerity and um, the, like the the truth of why we're doing it to the table, and it ends up helping in the long run. Yeah, I guess it, it comes to that uh, moment of acceptance mm-hmm. and trying not to deny deny it. Yeah, it's, it, it's we're, hard. We're getting past that point in today's world where. Um, most people, when I first started, they're like, oh, I can, it stinks that we have to talk about this. It's so sad. It's, it is sad. It I is. mean, I, I I think about it all the time. I mean, I know like when we were young, Columbine happened, mm-hmm. you know, but even going way back to what was it in the, in the 1960s? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that? Uh, uh, what was that Texas shooting? You know what I'm talking the about? University of Texas? Was it University of Texas or Texas Tech or? Um, well, there was the one at, at the University of Texas um, in the bell tower. Is that the 1960s I'm thinking of? It might be. Yeah. I get the I'm, dates. Yeah. I try to keep it. I mean, unfortunately, there's almost an endless list of recent ones. Yeah. Um, I know Valparaiso High School, when I was in high school, had an attack in um, with a machete, or it might have just been a big knife, but the word on the street was machete, uh, in a class in Valpo, in a high school um, that I could have gone to, but I went to a different high school and uh, just because of where we lived. And um, miles away from each other, and our school still went on lockdown for that. Oh, yeah. And I don't, and I hate that that happened because it sends the wrong message, and that's one thing I work with in the schools a lot is making sure you're responding appropriately to everything. Because um, if you over-respond, then you create that chaos. You create that unsafe feeling. So what is over-responding? Um, let's just put it simply. Mm-hmm. If you're in a, a school that is near a lot of gang activity, there's a good chance that you're going to hear gunshots all the time. Are those schools constantly going into full lockdowns? No, because they know how to assess what's happening um, in their area and how it affects their school. If a bank gets robbed, does every school have to lock down? No. They're probably not going to those schools. They're probably trying to get out of here. Yeah. Um, and, and I think anytime people think anything happens during the school day that involves violence or mostly a gun is mo- what most people are worried about, um, that they have to – everyone has to shut it down. And that, that to me is just not acceptable. You're sending the wrong message. Um, if someone threatened the school, then we don't have to go into full lockdown. Right now, all we have is a threat. We just need to um, building restriction. No one in or out without coming through the front office. We could heighten security if we need, but students should just be able to go throughout their daily daily um, school day and then respond if things change. If I'm trying to think of something recently that- Well, we, there was um, just in the last couple of weeks that- Maybe it was, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe it was last week at BBCHS a gun uh, yeah. was was found. Right. So, and even, so like that was a, from my perspective, I haven't asked too many questions. I haven't talked to the SRO there um, in depth about it, but it seems to me like everything went very well. And kudos to the the student that reported it uh, and that family because they, 
they did the right thing. And the school day win is normal. They found the student. They found everything. We don't need to go all out because there's nothing to do it. Um, when, like, fire alarms, right? Uh, before a fire happens, people aren't just running around and saying, there might be a fire. We need to all evacuate, right? We're, everyone looks for those extra um, identifiers. Is the fire alarm going? Do I see smoke? Is it hot in here? Did I hear an explosion? Well, same thing can be done with these if you're prepared and you know what your responses can be. Do I hear something that's abnormal? Are people running in fear? All of those things, not just, oh, I think maybe this person might want to hurt people. So everyone locked down. Mm-hmm. It just it becomes a, um, a bad habit. So that's one thing I try to work on is getting the schools to um, trust their plans and trust, you know, the system that people will report and do what they have to do. So it's tough, but. I would imagine so. I mean, the more we talk about it, the more sense it it, uh, it makes, you know, it, it's more about thinking your, your plan and your steps through and thinking about the impact on the people that actually are innocent and have nothing right. to do with it, you know. It's a traumatic experience. Um, we do three fire drills a year. It's by state mandate. We can, we only have to do one law enforcement drill, um, which is like an armed intruder drill. Yes. And no one freaks out when the fire drill goes on. No, everyone's all goofing around. And when I first started, a lot of schools are still doing the lockdown drill was just shut the lights, close the door, lock it, and hide in a corner. That's and no what one I remember. Talks. Yep. Sorry. That's, and, um, that's what it was like. I remember when I was in school, we all had to like get in a certain corner of the classroom and all. Yeah. And, you know. that's, and that's traumatic. So what, what I started doing is um, you still do a lot of those things. But during that time, you talk to the students in your class about everything that they can do, all the options that one lets them know that they can learn. And it's like anything. You can become good at it. You can understand the situation and take your survivability in your own hands. And instead of just hiding in a corner where they're just sitting there processing anything and everything. Well, if you're having these conversations and you talk about it and you're pretty much honest with the kids about most things, um, they respond very well and they take a lot of this and go with it. I've had a lot of parents call. I've talked to them after the fact and they're like, yeah, my kid came home. They were super excited about your drills today. Uh, they were like, if someone comes in, I'm going to kick them. Uh, <laughs> Just somebody else told me that they're going to punch somebody under the belt if they had to. (laughs) And like, you know, that's a lot different than a kid coming home and saying, I had to hide under my desk because someone had a gun. Yeah. That's not, that's, that's traumatic. It's very traumatic. Um, So uh, changing the way that we do the drills, changing the way that we talk about it has really helped. Um, And a lot of times uh, people will say, well, if you practice these drills, won't the bad person know? Well, what do they know now? We're ready. If they try, we're ready. Um, And uh, the most recent one that happened um, up north in Michigan, they uh, there's that video of them in the classroom, and they were ready, even though it was a detective on the door that said, "Hey, come open the door. We're trying to get everyone out." They're like, "No, we're not doing that," because they had thought about it all, they processed it, Um, and so they still reacted. They took their room in their own hands and and did what they thought was right, and you can't be mad at that. And so that's what that's the change. Instead of they're just hiding in a corner, everyone in that room 
appeared to be ready for something if they had to. And they very quickly evacuated out a window because they saw an, an actual uniformed officer they could visually see. Um, so if you haven't seen that, it's pretty sure it's still up. I would think so. But yeah, that's that's the power, the power in being res- educated in the responses. Yeah, I have. Yeah, goes back to what you were saying earlier. Do what you think is is right when yeah. is necessary. Um, so you know, you're getting back to starting on at the the Bourbonnais Police Department. It obviously wasn't long before when when you were hired. Was the whole intention for you to become a resource officer, or what was your first? Was it just kind of like, okay, I'm going to do whatever they, <laughs> you know, ask me to do? I mean, how did the 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 resource officer position come into play, or what were you originally hired for? So just hired for normal patrol, um, fill the roster slot, you know, do whatever's asked of me. Um, I, I had a good SRO when I was in high school, and I thought that'd be cool, right? If that ever comes up, that'd be really cool. At the time I got hired, that position didn't exist. It had previously, um, but they had they haven't had one for a while. So about two years in, the school district, they want to bring back DARE. They want a school resource officer. Every, everything's been approved. So the school district came to the police department and interviewed guys. Uh-huh, okay. And then so they picked who they wanted through that interview process, and I just so happened to be um, that the one that they chose, and we had great guys. Any one of those guys in that room um, through the interview interview process could do this job. Um, they probably would argue now because they know what I deal with, but <laughs> I, I still believe that anyone who cares about their community cares about kids. Yeah, you're um, so good with the kids. You know <laughs> that, that they can they can definitely do this job. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how it happened. It was very quick, um, and even then, it was right away. They were like, "We don't know how long this position will be." Most departments try to rotate people in and out. I disagree with that, especially in a, a relationship building role. There's no point in putting somebody in there for two years and then ripping them out. It's not healthy. Um, but I've since been seven years. Man, that's kids that are in seventh grade. I've been with them since they started school. There's kids that are graduated um, almost out of college working in careers that I've, I've worked with. And that's like so cool. Um, and that's the big part of it is building all these long lasting relationships. So I'm, I'm happy that I've been doing it for as long as I have. Um, but yeah, that's, I didn't think I would be doing it. I, yeah. it, it didn't exist at the time. Yeah. I thought I'd find something else to do. So how is, how is the, the resource officer role changed over time? Cause I'm sure you've learned, um, what, well, even from when you were in high school, you were just talking about your resource officer. Um, you know, how has it changed to now? Cause I'm sure there's people listening that are thinking about their resource officer when they were in school and I'm sure it's changed so much since then. And recently just changed again. Uh, There wasn't really any requirements for what made an SRO other than you were a police officer. Uh, Then they, then there was all the classes you could take. So when I first got hired, I did the NASRO, the National Association of School Resource Officers basic course. And then um, I did the advanced course and some other courses too. But I think it was like last year the state of Illinois changed and they wanted to verify that every SRO that was stationed in that spot, not just a fill-in person, like if I went out of town and someone filled in, um, but an actual, this is your role, they created three different criteria you had to meet. Um, Basically, you just had to have three classes or three 
out, um, number of hours in certain criteria. And the first one would be like juvenile law. The other one was um, school safety threat assessments. And then um, basically like relationship building, community policing. And so they changed what the requirements were so they can verify that the SROs that are, are SROs um, are actually doing what they are supposed to. A lot of times people thought the SRO job was you're getting ready to retire. You're looking for a cushy, easy job. I've heard horror stories of SROs that were never at the schools they were hired to be at. They would just take the time to go do whatever else they wanted to do, or they would just sit in the office and do nothing. Um, my opinion, biased, but a good SRO for me is someone that's doing like all those little things, the nuances, the silly things, um, getting to know students in the hallway, finding about what their interests are, talking with them about that, getting pied in the face when they earn a something fun, um, just being a, a, a human, yes, being a, a human, a human, and just being a resource for them, so they feel comfortable coming to you with anything. And kids will come up to you with anything. I just feel like the the impression from what I grew up with as a uh, what a resource officer was. It was always like, yeah, they've got an officer stationed at the high school to make sure everyone stays in line. You know, like, yeah. and it was always like they're this, you know. They're they're watching you and and yeah. So the disciplinarian thing kind of exists, but it's not. I don't really do any of it unless it gets to the point of like law enforcement. Yeah, and of course uh, it's different for high school than very much so elementary. Yeah, I I work the K through eight building, the nine through twelve. That's a different different Whole situation. Different ball game, but I yeah. I still think a lot of the same things can kind of you know apply. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the main pushes for SROs in recent time is school safety. They want, if you put a police officer out there, the likelihood of someone coming and trying to attack it theoretically would be lower. Um, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but what I, what I take away is one of the main ways that I can prevent any of that ever happening in our school to the best of my ability is to build relationships with everybody in that building. If everyone feels welcome, feels safe, um, feels heard, seen, appreciated, then the odds of them having those disgruntled feelings or, or finding themselves in a headspace to do that um, are, are lower, in my opinion. Again, my little bit of psychology that I studied, the sociology, it leans to say that, obviously, if people are happier, they don't do you know, sad things, um, but... I've done this job long enough and I've been around enough people that even it's a flip of a switch. I was listening to, um, I was, I was going back cause I never finished the first episode with Eric Peterson, Oh, okay. but he talked about it and I was waiting for him. There's a moment he's talking through, um, project headspace and timing and why he kind of started it. And I was waiting. I'm like, you have to admit that this is something that could happen to you possibly because i think that would be a lie if, if he just kept saying like oh this can happen to anybody and, and it, he the first time he brings it up he doesn't say it but the second time he's like yeah you know and it just reminded me it could happen to anybody it could, it could, it could happen to me and i was like that's a like that's the key is if you yourself don't feel in the right space like that's a problem and working in the school reminding all those kids that any given moment things can you know turn, change but, yes but you have people like me to come talk to about it um, and I am in a unique spot where I can talk to you a little bit about procedural law. Kids come up to me about divorce stuff all the time, even though it's civil law. I yeah. can still talk to them and help them through it. And 
oh, I got to go to court and I'm just freaking out. What, what do I say? You say the truth. You, you say what you believe to be the truth. Like, trust me, you'll be okay. This, this is a blip in your life. I grew up in the foster. Well, I wasn't a foster child, but my parents were foster parents. Um, been doing that for a long time and uh, they still do it. And I, I tell them like, it's a blip. So many people that go through these things, they come out better. You just have to pers- you know, persevere. And uh, a lot of kids just need that. They just want to hear it. Yeah, they want to know that it's it's not going to be forever, mm-hmm. that they're going to get through it, that they're going to be okay. Yep. And also the just the, the communication you're talking about, uh, being able to uh, have these trusting relationships, down-to-earth relationships, very basic human interaction is also, even if it's just um, one of these uh, students hears it from another student that they're thinking about these things, that mm-hmm. other student that heard it will come to you yep. right away, and then you can do what's necessary from yeah. there. You if, know. if you don't talk to kids about all this stuff, um, they'll, they won't they will talk to you. Uh, a lot of people are like, well, don't bring up these things in the kids, because then you're, you're planting that in them. Um, we live in the, it's 2021, it's almost 2022. Kids have access to everything. They know these things exist. Some of the popular music that they listen to talks about a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, they're not unfamiliar with it, but if you don't speak with them, I call it pseudo maturity. I'm sure there's a better word for it, but if you don't talk to them as, as they understand the situation, then they won't talk to you. So if you don't let a kid know that, yes, suicide's a thing that can happen, they won't come to you when they're presented with that. But now that I've had that conversation, our social workers are great. Our administration in the schools are great. Um, they, they get a lot of that kids come up and thankfully almost all of it is um non-serious but just the fact of bringing it up is is serious enough to have conversations but um you know we've been lucky since i've been there that most if not all i I would be lying if i said all but most of our students um, and staff feel comfortable going to somebody in that building they have somebody that they can talk to report stuff to so that goes for um self-harm to possible violent acts to even little things like a fight after school or whatever. Um, if they feel comfortable, they'll come to you. And that's the the main thing. Make that, build that relationship, build that comfort. Yeah. Just so they, they know they can trust you and come talk to you about anything right. and you're not going to throw the book at them or whatever, you know, be all, get all upset and yeah. say, you know, you shouldn't be thinking that way or, you know, all that. It, it's just, you, you get on their level. Yep. Right. Yeah, Is that what it's? Yeah. Yeah. Especially, um, like you said, throw the book at them. Like sometimes you do have to, I have to sit them down and have that big conversation about like law and how things work. Um, uh, but my goal is never, I'm not punishing you. It's not my job to punish you. I just, I have to do what I have to do. And I want you to understand why I have to do it and what the next steps are. So the whole, you know, I don't judge you on your mistake. I judge you how you fix them. Yeah. Yes. This is a problem. We're addressing it. What do you do now? How do you make this a thing of the past and go on further? And um, I do that even with adults on the street. I kind of get a little bit of grief for being a guy who takes a, a little bit of extra time on calls because I want people to understand why it is we're doing what we're doing. Yes, I'm arresting you. This is why. I want you to understand why this is. And almost everybody at the end of my interactions are usually pleasant. Yeah. They're they're just people. Well, it's it's nice that you you're taking the time to explain this to them versus, I mean, how many of us are 
No, no one. The average person is not well versed in the law. No. I know I'm not. No. So, you know, I, I think that's probably super important that it's it's great to hear you take that time to explain it to and, them. And a lot of guys do. Don't get me wrong. Oh, um, sure. I'm, I would imagine this day and age, that is probably something that's drilled into almost every single police officer's head, I would imagine at this point. I just like understanding. It makes my job easier if you understand why I'm doing it. Because a lot of people, they either look at like law enforcement in one of three ways. You know, they are... Uh, the big superheroes everyone thinks they are, or they're just out to get everybody, uh, or they're the neutral person that I see every once in a while, uh, every morning getting Dunkin' Donuts or something, like very neutral, right? And that's, um, it's important to realize that you're, you're being viewed in all these different ways. Because if I'm dealing with you and I start to think that you think I'm only trying to do this because I don't like you, I want you to understand that's not the case. I want to explain what's happening. And the vast majority of people ver respond very well to that. They enjoy knowing... <laughs> Even though they do know, they know what they did was wrong. They know this is how it goes. But reminding them why these things exist. Um, people think speeding tickets exist because we want people to drive slower and we want to get money for tickets. Well, I've been to law enforcement <laughs> or firefighting and law enforcement long enough. You've been to enough accidents. You realize it doesn't take much speed for an accident to go from uh, like a normal fender bender, maybe a couple you know bruising on your on your chest where seatbelt is to death yeah, it doesn't take much and so that's why um people think well you know failing to signal well if you don't signal people might misread your intentions and that causes an accident a lot of things that exist are there to protect people not because i needed a stupid way to get a lot of money from you that's not how this works um <laughs> it's and unfortunately that's kind of the 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 place where a lot of law enforcement has been put is where you know in this out to get people or make money. Um, and like I said, I like to explain people. If I'm giving someone a ticket, I try to explain to them why. And I see you had a car seat back there. Yes, you're probably thinking going 10 miles per hour over the speed limit's not a lot, but you're in a neighborhood. You have a kid, so do they. You know your kid runs off. What about their kid? You know, that 10 miles per hour is a certain number of feet of stoppage time. You're gonna, you're gonna hurt somebody. And like people, when they hear that, they go, Okay. Yeah. Not just, hey, slow down this neighborhood. That doesn't explain anything. No, it doesn't. So. It doesn't. It just gives the attitude that, oh, that guy's a jerk. It's like, yeah. a, you know. So my ending remarks would be be present for your kids, be positive influence, um, and hold them accountable and educate them. And that will inevitably lead to more positivity in the future. Um, better, just better society. I know it's hard to do. I'm soon to be a parent myself. So. I was going to say, uh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thanks. When is that's uh, is that really like a couple months or is it further than that? That's uh, April. It's April. Okay. Yeah, so now <clears> for I'm some reason, I thought it was like February or March, but yeah. April's going to be here before you know it. I'm going to have to so. put my my money where my mouth is now. And <laughs> do, do as I say. And do as I, I say. You're going to be listening say. back to this uh, this podcast. I'm going to have to do it to remind myself. But man, yeah, yeah I talked about a lot today, like a lot. It's, it's a whirlwind. There's I, and there's so many other things. Uh, this happens almost every episode where it's like, yeah, we could go for three more hours you know so that's the truth be told though that's kind of indicative of law enforcement it's just a whirlwind you start one thing you're on to the next you're on to the next and uh, well there's so many facets yeah. in law enforcement and the fact that you're not only um you know on patrol uh you're in the school yeah and that's a whole nother 
thing as well. So, but thanks for all you do for the, for the kids and, and the uh, community. I mean, it, it, uh, it's really just heartwarming to see your interaction with the kids, but also at other community events as well. It's, it, it makes, I, I feel like you really are succeeding at, at your mission as far as you're making yourself very approachable. And that's, that's the, the whole, that's the whole goal, right? Yeah. So you're not this, uh, big, scary police officer. You're Travis Garcia, who I can go to in, you know, in uh, a time of need, mm-hmm. you know, so really, uh, really appreciate your time. Of course. Yeah. Like I said, it's an absolute honor and pleasure to be here. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, I, I guess I would be doing a disservice if I didn't shout out, um, Clove Alliance is doing that mentorship program. That's something that was, yeah. that you ha- have signed up for that too, right? Yeah. So I'm a mentor in that. And that's, uh, our next session is actually tomorrow um, at the Kanky County Museum. So it was kind of uh, oh. interesting that your, your episode that you dropped today was with yeah. uh, Jack Clacy. Yeah. Um, so we'll be there tomorrow. And it's just a great way to remind um, young men that there are positive male role models in the world. Um, so if you're looking at that, go to Clove Alliance's website, um, find them on Facebook. They're constantly posting about it and, um, they changed the age range. So I'm like forgetting exactly what the age range is, but I think it's eight to 12. Okay. Cause they, so, they upped it. So you, so you're a part of Clove Alliance's mentorship, you said? Yeah. So what exactly is that and how does, how does that work? So if you, if you like go to Clove Alliance's, uh, website, mm-hmm. um, McClovealliance.org, or you go to their Facebook page, you can sign up your young men, uh, ages 10 to 14. So I knew they'd moved it. I think it was originally 8 to 12, Um, but 10 to 14. uh, And once a month, we get together and do an activity and have conversations. So the last one we did was um, career conversations. We did it in the style of a Jeopardy game, but we also were at the public library. Um, So we toured the library in Bourbon A to uh, kind of show resources to their future. You want to be a zoologist? Here's a place to find out how. Um, just endless resources. And then we had a game. We talked about jobs and you know helped them visualize their futures. Uh, we did one on. Uh, That's a perfect age to be doing that because it's. I I have this thing where I'm I'm realizing more and more that we kind of all, not everybody, but it seems like a lot of people decide more and more like what they're going to be already at like age 10. Because I'll tell you what, at age 10, I was fascinated with media and that's what I do for a living. So it's all, even though like I didn't, uh, you know, I first uh, started to try and make it in a band, you know, Mm -hmm. but still like it was a form of entertainment, you know? So it's like, you really do kind of decide at a super young age, sometimes at age ten, yeah. what you're, you know, so what that, you're gonna uh, do. that's the the point of of mentoring matters. Just reminding young men that uh, there's positivity in the world. There's um, a way to a good way to handle yourself and to help them just visualize their futures in a positive light. Because some young men don't have a positive male role model in their life, um, and so it just kind of helps to get, like I said, like I said earlier, positivity. No matter what role you have in a kid's life. Um, aunt, uncle, neighbor, be a positive resource for any kid. And the mentoring matters is one way um, outside of law enforcement, outside of the school that I can give back because it's kids even from outside of Bourbon A 
that okay. I would never deal with or, or have any real interaction with, most likely, um, I am. I'm getting to know kids from other schools and um, and other places. So if if you have a young boy in mind that's 10, ages 10 to 14, get on Clove Alliance, um, email them and get hooked up with that. I think we have a three or four more sessions and it's uh, okay. once a month and we're changing them up uh, with different um, cat or categories, but different uh, information, different things that we can do for the boys. Yeah. Cool. That's so, awesome. I'm glad yeah. you're uh, glad you're doing that. So, all right, Travis Garcia. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, Jerry. Re- yeah. Really appreciate it. And uh, congratulations <laughs> once again. I'm, I'm excited for you. Very excited for you and Kirsten. I'll be, you're going to be great parents. You'll have to get her on the show one day. Yeah. You, you know, you're, it's so funny. Both of you are, are like uh, powerhouses in the community. You know, Travis is married to uh, Kirsten Rust, who is the uh, executive director of United Way. So yeah, she's, she's on the list, you know, all the work she does is, is great as well. So, um, so yeah, thanks again. Well, thank you. So that concludes this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. Please do me a favor if you can uh, write us uh, a, write us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that uh, you listen to this podcast. Uh, you can uh, also sign up for our mailing list at kankakeepodcast.com. That way you never miss an episode or anything that is happening with the podcast, special events and things like that. And you can also follow us on social media to stay up to date on things as well at Kankakee Podcast for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Even though I haven't really done much with our TikTok yet, I'm still trying to uh, figure out that world. But thank you so much for listening. It truly does mean the world to me. And our theme song is by Lupe Carroll. People tend to stick